So we're going to look at the parable of the sower. Uh, some refer to it as a parable of the souls because really it's more about the souls than it is the sower itself. Before we get going, what you need to understand is the seeds of the Word of God. So before we go to these verses, I want to share with you a word from God. It's what some refer to as a gospel. In many ways, using many verses, it all comes to the same exact, starts at the same beginning and, and ends with the same ending. God created us for His glory. That's what we need to understand. In the very beginning, when this thing was first set in motion, when God created man, He created us for His glory. Isaiah 43, 6-7 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I am created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God made all of us in His own image so that we would reflect His character. Every human should live for God's glory. We were created for God's glory. We should live for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The way to live for the glory of God is to love Him, trust Him, be thankful to Him, obey Him, and treasure Him above all things. When we do these things, we reflect God's glory. The problem is, Man is born into sin. Because of one man's sin, we are now all born into sin. We are born into sin and we fall way short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 literally says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 1.21-23 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Basically, we know who God is, but we push Him to the side and we would rather worship what has been created rather than what created, right? None of us have ever loved or trusted or thanked or obeyed or treasured God as we ought to. Since we don't love, since we don't trust, since we don't thank, since we don't obey or, or treasure God, which is sin, we all deserve eternal punishment. We were created for a purpose. We went the totally opposite way. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, those who did not obey the Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Completely separated. But God, some of the most powerful words, we were lost. We were enemies of God. We hate God. But God, in His great mercy, 
sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to provide us sinners the way for eternal life. That's the good news, right? John 3.16. You've heard this verse so many times. Don't let this become callous to you. Feel the weight of these words. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Should not go to hell but be in His presence. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. We should have taken that. He took it for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous Christ for the unrighteous, the sinners, that He might bring us to God. Therefore, eternal life is a free gift to all who will trust in in the Lord Jesus. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2.8-9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it's the gift of God, not result of works, so that no one may boast. This free gift is given. It's just accepted. You didn't get it. You don't earn it. You don't, you don't deserve it. Remember, we deserve hell. But God offers us this free gift. And it's not by your own doing. Faith is not by your own doing. It's all a gift of God. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. That's a different person, right? That's not the same as I was before. I now have Christ who lives in me. Something should be different about the way that I live. And it's a lifestyle. So my question to you at the beginning, a lot of times you hear an invitation come at the end and the reason I want to toss this out at the beginning is about is what we're about to look at in this parable. The question is, is Christ, the Christ that I just described in the Bible, is Christ the supreme treasure of your life? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the word of God that I just read. This is the seed that we're about to look at that Jesus describes in this parable. Now, what I want you to realize is up until this point, Jesus had told them the truth, right? He spoke the truth. No matter who was around, He spoke the truth. And what did they do? Did everybody just accept it and say, yes, King Jesus? No. As a matter of fact, it was just the opposite. You see, Jesus spoke the truth and they rejected Him. And then he did miracles, but that's all they wanted. Matthew 12, 22 through 24 says, And the demon, and a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? 
But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Satan. It is only by the power of Satan, the prince of demons, that this man, Jesus, cast out demons. Number one, that makes no sense. But what they were doing was turning the hearts of the people. They were already hardened. They were turning him away and they were saying, no, he heals by the power of Satan. Can it get any worse than to call God Satan? He heals this man and they reject him. Up, up until this point, when we're, we're listening to this parable here, at this point in time, Jesus had fed, fed huge crowds. Huge crowds. Twice. Twice already. And so it's no wonder that these huge crowds kept following, right? Miracles, free food, follow Jesus. But it was selfish desires. It was the selfish gain they wanted. So, picture this scene. You have people coming from town to town, because that's what it says, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him. So we have people from everywhere. And this story is in Mark, the story is in Matthew, and it's in Luke. They all say the same thing. Great crowds. There's great crowds. This is like probably Billy Graham crusade crowds. Enormous. And it says in Matthew that he actually got into a boat. Some say he got in the boat to keep from being crushed by the crowd. Some say he got in the boat so people could see him better and his voice would project. It doesn't matter. He got in the boat and these people basically became the shoreline. People everywhere, right? And we're here. We're waiting to hear what you have to say, Jesus. Maybe we'll get some free food out of it again. We're waiting to hear what you say. And Jesus stands before the crowd, and what does he say? A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, the thorns grew up and choked it out. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, Who has it? He who has an ear, let him hear. One of the pastors I used to, to watch all the time, he said, basically Jesus says, if you get it, you get it. Now, had he been talking in this way up until this point? No, he'd been giving the truth. But now here's the story. A story about a farmer casting seed. What kind of sense does this make? He never spoke in this way before. So this story wouldn't have been anything unfamiliar to them. Remember, this is people fished for a living. They grew the, They didn't have Walmart back then, right? If you wanted food, you grew it. He could, have, he could have been looking at a field that somebody was growing in or casting seed at that time. We don't know. So this would have been a very, very familiar story. But why are you telling us this story? The disciples, they picked up on it. And some of his other followers, they picked up on it like, what was that about? You know, we want to know, what did you mean by that? The ending would have probably grabbed everybody's attention because anybody who's done any farming, I don't know of 
much that you get a hundredfold off of, right? In other, in, in the other uh, books, I think in Matthew it says thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Some yielded six thirty, some yielded sixty, some yielded a hundredfold. That's enormous. I think in my mind, a tenfold harvest would probably be pretty good, right? But for a hundred, that's a miracle. That would have got my mind thinking in that direction. Well, that's that's huge. Well, what it caught my eye first is he said that that there was no weeds in the soil, right? How many of y'all got that? Break open soil and don't plant nothing there. Something is going to grow there. So, he's on the boat. He tells a story. And up until this point, like we said, he, he had spoke of things of the kingdom of God. He had, he, he had told them his position in the kingdom of God. And they rejected him. So now... We all know that when God speaks, He doesn't speak just to make noise. There's purpose. There's a divine purpose behind everything He says. There's a meaning there, right? Why would He hide it from the people? Why wouldn't He just keep speaking the truth? The more I got to thinking about this, I was like, why would He not keep telling the truth so that everybody would... But He says... In verse 9, and when his, his disciples asked what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody to know. So he hid the truth in the parable. Not that they would get it right off the bat. What they had to do, they had to go to him and ask him, what does this mean? So what I, what I ultimately came up with is Jesus hiding this truth. It was judgment, and it was mercy. It was judgment because they had grown so hard that if you gave them more, they were just going to reject Him all the more. And it was mercy, same fact. Because the more truth He gives them and the more they reject, the more they're condemned. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. The truth is held back from them and He's hiding it in here so that those who it has been given to they come and they ask. Alright, so we have, a, we have a sower, we have some seed, we have some soils here, right? The sower, what do we know about them? The Bible says nothing in particular. Nothing in particular at all. We don't get any stats, we don't get a height, we don't get a weight, we don't get years of sowing, we don't get a, if he used a sidearm method, if he threw overhand, underhand, Behind us, we don't get any of that, right? We just know that he sowed the seed. Now, the seed being the word of God, that means every Christian shares the word of God, shares the gospel. You are a soul. This is not the pastor, this is not the preacher. We've all been charged to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel to all people, right? We're all sowers. And if you're not sowing, you have been charged to sow. Learn that right now. So anyone who rightly proclaims the word of God, mean rightly proclaims the word of God. The goal of the sower is to sow the seed and get a harvest, right? 
All also the what I what I you know if you look at the parables, immediately comes the parable of the weeds after this, and and I, for many years I was like, they don't line, they're not aligned. It's not meant to. Jesus gave them all these parables. So what you see the sower in the parable of the weeds, Jesus goes on and explains. That's the Son of God is the sower there. Don't mix the two together. You are the sower, Christian. You are the sower. And then we have some seed. Now, verse 11 says that the seed is the Word of God, right? Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. So now we know who the sower is, anyone who claims the Word of God, and now we, we know the seed is the Word of God. This is not a modified version. You know how we have genetically modified seeds? This is not modified, right? It's not good here. I think it could use something here. This is the Word of God. This is nothing added to, nothing taken away from. The Word of God. And you know, when you look at the church today, in the past years, it's always been the problem. Man has tried to modify Man has always thought there was something missing. There's not enough people in the pews. I need to bring more people in. So the way they do it is they make it more digestible. They make the message easier to digest. It doesn't, it's not so much wrath, it's more love. We make it feel more worldly so they're kind of at home when they walk in. And so now we get them all in one space. Now we can preach the gospel. The gospel we're preaching is watered down too. You know, we we just went through a study on Wednesday night of chapter 19, Revelation. Brother Kirby had brought something out that got me thinking. The church is the bride of Christ, right? The bride of Christ was never meant to be dressed up as the prostitute just so the world would look a little bit more attractive to the world. Never. Never. And you see so many times in the Bible whenever God is talking about His people straying from Him, He's talking about it in ways just like that. You left me. You went to the prostitute. You went went toward uh, and whoredom went this way. It was always this love relationship. The church was never made be attractive to the world. Matter of fact, it was more offensive than it was anything. When a worldly person walks into a church, because believe me, I've heard the word of God when I was not in Jesus. And I couldn't stand to be around it. It should be the most uncomfortable place to walk in here. Now, if God has prepared your heart like we're about to see, man, it should be the best place you've ever been. This is where I need to be. This is for the world. We shouldn't be able to bring the world in here and then go, man, that's some good stuff right there. It's probably a problem. That's what, that's what many have done over the years to try to make it look better, to try to make it look, be more digestible in the world. It's not what this is about. In this parable, we see things take place after the seed is sown. So, sown the same way by the same sower, it's the same seed. We're going to look and see what happens. This sower is spreading them all across the soils. We got 
four different types of soil here. We got path. This is what I would refer to. If you don't know me, I, I garden quite a lot. Hard pan, farmers in here will know the same thing. Hard pan is the worst thing you can possibly have. Nothing's getting through there. It's not good for anything. It's compacted soil. Then he, then he says we have rocky soil. Now he's talking about soil here, so we know it's not a slab of rock. It's not a pile of rocks. It's probably a little bit of soil, probably got rock bed underneath, right? Then we have thorns. This is your weedy soil. Know plenty about weeds. Then you have good soil that we're going to look at. It's free of compaction, no rock beds, no weeds. That sounds like heaven to me. So as we read this, we're going to look at what he says and what he meant by it. So when I say that, when I say verse 5, then we're going to go to verse 12. That's going to be him explaining, okay? So don't let me lose you there. 5, 12, it'll be 6, 13. Got it. All right. In chapter 8, at verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and, and takes away the word from their hearts so they not, may not believe and be saved. So this soul in the path is very compacted. Never plowed, never needed to be. This is the walkway, right? The scorching heat from the sun would have taken this compressed soul and just baked it hard as concrete. We have rain events. We have pathways in between our beds. We'll have rain events where this soil becomes so compact that water won't even get through. It's just like a small pond. Never seep through. Nothing can get through to it. This seed makes it into the pathway, but it says it's trampled underfoot and the rest is devoured by the birds. Jesus says that the birds were a representation of the evil one, the devil. Stealing the word away from their hearts. It's understood that the soul is the heart. The example of this soul explains how God's word hits the heart, but it don't go any further. It just sits there. It's trampled. Then what's left, Satan comes and takes it away. How does he do that? How does he do that? Number one, he does that even in the church through false teachers. False teachers spread these spiritual lies against the truth that God has provided. He uses their blind and sinful condition to make them think they really don't need to be saved or maybe they've already been saved. You're just fine right where you're at. Lies like you're really not that bad. Let's just focus on making a better version of yourself. They're feeding that. People are eating it up. It's easy to digest. But this isn't what the Bible preaches, is it? Jeremiah 19.15 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck 
refusing to hear my word. The fifth thing is how God describes these people. Men like this were the ones who stoned Stephen, as we'll see in Acts 7. Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in the heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You could literally pile the seed on this walkway. Put ten times more of the seed on this walkway and the results will be the exact same. Trampled underfoot, the birds just got their not getting there. But we are called to sow the seed, not to be sold in. Verse 6. What is the next one? And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, Receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. It's a little bit different than the last one, right? Some of it got through. They, they received it with joy. This clearly doesn't refer to the pile of rocks like we said before. What farmer with good sense is going to toss a pile of seeds on, on rocks? I know one, don't name the name out loud, okay? There's some layer of soul here. This soul was actually plowed. It looked promising. It looked like decent soul. Seed was sowed onto it, seed sown, and it quickly germinates. Above the ground, it looked very promising. The above ground part of the plant might have even grown faster than everything around it. I've actually seen in cases where you're shallow or you're planted over something where roots are not getting through, you'll get a lot of top growth, but the roots will be so dinky it's ridiculous. They received it with joy, complete opposite of the hard heart. There's nothing wrong with responding in joy, is it? Praise God for salvation. But sometimes that's all it is, is emotion. It never makes it to the mind. It never makes it to the conscience. It just sits. I feel, I feel bad for my sin. I've been there years and years and years ago. I felt bad. Nothing got through. Nothing got through. This is, this is the person we're looking at. Seed germinates, plant busts through the dirt, and after a little while, the harsh sun comes out and proves <clears throat> lack of moisture. It's not going to make it. It withers away. It does not stand a chance. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold and that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
As soon as the hard times came, show. Show. How can we praise God in our trials? If we know on the other end of that trial, my faith is going to be proved. It's going to be proved genuine. That's how we praise God when the trials come, even though they hurt. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, send me all you got. It doesn't feel good on the beginning. It doesn't feel good in the middle. It really doesn't feel good depending on what happens at the end. But when I know that my faith is still in Jesus after all that we've been through, man, what a relief. What joy. What joy comes. These people don't have that. The root never went in. God is not allowing trials to come our way so that you can prove to Him if your faith is genuine. Do you understand that? God already knows. He knows that you were a shallow-hearted here when the seed was thrown out. He's not waiting to see how you're going to respond. This is for your own use. This is for your own confirmation. Man, I just went through some hard times, but my faith is still in you. still rock solid in you. Praise God. I know this faith, you have, it can only come from you. It's been given to me. Praise God. With shallow-hearted hearers, there is no room for the roots to go down. Things got difficult, they withered away. They believe for a little while and they fade away. How many times? I've been in this church for nine years. I can't imagine those who have been here longer. How many times have we seen this happen? You see somebody come in. They get so on fire for God that they want to be a part of this, they want to be a part of that. Then, gone. You try, you try to call them back. You beg for them to Come back to the fold. There's no conviction there because nothing ever sank in. And maybe they came in here because it was uh, maybe there's some false hope involved. I want to have Jesus in my life because I want my marriage fixed. I want Jesus to help me find a new job so I can get out of debt. I want Jesus to repair this relationship that I have that's broken with a child. Then when that doesn't come, whenever that situation becomes worse, wow. When it comes to the shallow here, the question is not if the faith will fail, when faith fails. Hebrews 3.14 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We don't start, quit. You want to know how faith is real? You keep going. Even when you pray and God says no. Keep going. Till the end. 
You don't, you don't go until the, pr- the prayer is no with the diagnosis drops. And now you won't have control now, God. It's to the bitter end, no matter what happens. Because you know what lies. Your faith says, your hope says, what lies on the other side of this. We know this world is full of trouble. It's on the other side of this. Can't even imagine. Next, we have the thorny, weedy soul. Verses 7. First one we're going to look at. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. Now these thorns wouldn't have been just out of the ground this high already to sow seeds in it. They're, you can't even see them. And anybody who knows anything about farming, about sowing seed, you know something ain't treated there, something ain't smothered these things out, it don't take but just a little bit of disturbance. Here they come. Verse 14 says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. A weed, thorn, just a plant. That's all it is. It's a plant. We look at it and go, it's weeds. It's a plant. It's something that's growing there. But it's a plant that you don't want to be there and it's completely useless to you. It is not, weed is any plant that's not the profile of, of the seed that you planted there, right? I planted this, this is coming up, that's not right. That, that shouldn't be there, right? Like I said before, break open any ground, you're going to know what's native there. Don't touch it. Scratch it back to the dirt surface. Watch what comes through. A little bit of water, a little bit of rain, something coming up. And we know that thorns and thistles have no agricultural use, do they? How many people you know farm thorns and thistles? They're going to go broke real quick. Weed seeds Think of this, are native to the soul. Weed seeds are native to the soul. The Word of God, foreign seed. It's not native. What's native to the soul is going to germinate so much better. It's going to grow so much faster. Anything that tries to compete with it just chokes right out. On the surface, this soil can appear to be rich and loamy, much like, like the rock bed that we had underneath, right? It's like dirt, clouded up. It's pretty prominent. We can see this. This, this soul describes the world we hear, by the way. They respond positivity at, at first. You see the same fire in these people. They have the depth. There's nothing, there's nothing underneath that's stopping this seed from going down. They got the depth. They just don't have the room. There's nowhere to spread out. This person is so in love with the world. They are so obsessed with this life. Think of it. The weeds grow up so fast. They shade out the Word of God. They just change. It doesn't stand a chance. 
1 Timothy 6, 9-10 through 10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is, the, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And then 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not from the Father, it is from the world. Material wealth is not evil in and of itself. Having a lot of money is not evil. Loving things in this world is not evil. I can love going outside. I can love riding motorcycles. I can love gardening. I can love my kids. It's when I put those things before God, that's when they're sin. When they mean more to me than anything in this world, anything to come, that's when I have a problem. We need to understand these three souls that we just looked at. The path, the rocky soul, the thorn. Those are all pictures of unbelievers. A lot of denominations will use this and they'll say, that right there says you can lose your salvation. They heard it, they were involved, then they were gone. But the rest of the Bible, that doesn't have a leg to stand on. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9 says, I give thanks to my God for always, always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will sustain you to the end? guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Did it say anything about you know, it, might, it might drop you, it might lose you. Who will sustain you to the end? 1 John 2.15 Do not, no, 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 sorry. First Thessalonians, I looked at my notes. I am sorry. First Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. and May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You cannot lose your salvation. Once you were saved, you were saved. But what, what the question is, is, is your faith genuine? That is what it comes down to. It's not whether you feel like you've been saved. When the fire comes, when the sun comes out, when it beats down on you, do you still have faith in God on the other side of it? Or do you just say, you're not even close to this. I can't do it. It's too much. 
And one thing I've learned gardening, it's taken a long time to figure this out. Healthy soil equals healthy plants equals better yield. And it doesn't mean that the pests and the weather still don't come. But what it does mean is they have a much better chance of rebounding from whatever pest pressure, whatever weather comes their way. They have a much better chance of rebounding. And I've also noticed that pests will actually go to the weakest plant that you have. The one that looks like it's got a little disease, they'll go to that one first. Now the reason being, I think, is because it's easy prey. It's easy for me to devour this thing because it's not going to fight back. Think about that. <clears throat> then the good, the good soul. Verse 8. And some fell into the good soul and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. And then verse 15. And as for the good soul, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Bear fruit with patience. Bear fruit with patience. Remember, this, this soul is weed-free, right? It's a miracle itself. Weed-free soul doesn't exist unless we throw a nuclear war of chemicals on it, right? It's the only way. If you're going to leave it exposed, something's coming up. There's no rock beds, so the soul is able to the roots are able to go down deep. There's no seed trampled here. The devil is not coming and stealing it away. And the yield is a hundredfold. Genesis 26, 12. We see this same picture. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped the same year a hundredfold. And then what does it say? The Lord blessed him. This is a blessing from God. Only a hundredfold return was completely unheard in their time. It'd be like saying, I'm going to take a denarii and buy some seed. That seed is going to make me a hundred. It didn't happen back then. So their minds would have been blown by the story. The soul was well cultivated and it produced the desired crop. It's important. No weeds came through it, produced it planted there. You also have a command that comes with this, right? Here's to hold fast to the Word in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. What is fruit? What is fruit? Galatians 5. <clears throat> Actually, one of the things that it says to bear fruit with patience is actually one of the fruits. So it's like you're getting fruit as you wait for the fruit, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. These are all attitudes, right? How do I know? What's another, what's another way I can see that, that the Holy Spirit is in me, that I have truly been converted, that I have faith? I should be able to look at these things and go, man, did it work here? Did it work here? I can see this in my life. I should be able to look at you and say, man, I see how you're growing. I see the fruit coming out of your life because of this change you have. 
not pretend. Real life stuff. You don't have self-control, it's going to come out real quick. Fruit is the spiritual reality that God produces in His children. We should be able to see the fruit in our lives. We should be able to see the fruit in all those people around us who are claiming to be Christians. And even further than that, perseverance with fruit. Remember, to the very end, we just read about to the very end, finish the race which you have started. So we see this parable explains an assorted amount of soul, right? The heart. All contain the same minerals, all contain the same matter. What makes each one distinct from each other is the ability to produce fruit. The condition of the condition of the soil determines the outcome. Nothing to do with the skill of the sower, but the quality of the seed. The seed is perfect, the seed is unchanging. And mind you, the good soil had a hundredfold harvest. Not saying that weather was a dependent factor either. Weather was all the same. It's basically in the same field. It's the condition of the soul. So, key takeaways from this parable. What you need to know is a person's response to the word of God is dependent on their condition of their heart and the evidence of good soul and the fruit that comes after. The problem is man is unclean, fallen, guilty, and in total rebellion against God. How am I going to cultivate my own heart when I'm all these things? I can't do that. I can't fix myself. It is completely a work of God. Like David prayed in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We can come to God with complete trust that He can do the necessary work in our heart. You see this is you. You see that your faith is failing. This is what I would be praying. Those who are sowers, we can pray that God will prepare their hearts before we even spread the seed, right? Then after we, we toss the seed, we should be praying afterwards that it germinate, that the soil was good. And if it's not, Lord, change it. What we need to understand is there is nothing about this thing right here that we can do in and of ourselves. It is all the power of God. You have no control. You take the seed... You sow it. That's your responsibility. Everything after that, it's all God. That's all that you need to know. But yet we're so, so scared to throw that seed. We're so scared that I'm going to look like an idiot standing here with a seed bag, tossing seed. Not comfortable. But you need to realize that the person that you're talking to, you were that person. You were that person at one point and had somebody not shared, somebody not spread that seed, God would have never done this work, right? So, 
we approach this with a little more confidence now that it's all God, right? We also approach this knowing that you can't do a thing in the world about the soul that you're sowing into. You're just called to sow. So, in closing, I'd like to call the worship team back up. When you share the gospel with the world, know that it's dependent on all that condition of the soul. If you do that, you're sowing the right seed. You're not modifying the seed. The seed does not need to be any different than what it is, right? We don't need to fancy it up. We don't need to fancy up our technique. We don't need to spike our hair up and, and wear crossbone shirts to make our technique work. We don't need skinny jeans to make our technique work. You wear them, then use them. But you don't need them to make the power of, of God work. Just preach the Word. That's it. The Word of God has been proclaimed today. I was just the voice that came out of it. Right? I read it right from here. The seed has been sowed. I will continue to pray that God will use this seed for whoever's in here. If you know that some seed was spread on your heart today, you feel that pull. Today is the day. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait another day. You might pass it.